Hi all, I'm Kitty, Chair of the Gender Equality Network, and I'm delighted to be welcoming you to this Family Action First, a podcast to recognise World Menopause Day. You're about to hear from India Fisher, host of the podcast Be More Orca, a space in which she encourages conversation about the menopause and its symptoms. In this episode, she's in conversation with two of our Family Action employees who have lived experience of the perimenopause and menopause themselves. I hope you enjoy listening, and if you'd like to continue the conversation about hormonal health, please consider joining the network or our upcoming menopause cafes. We'd love to have you on board. Details of these can be found on the internet. Hi, my name's India. This is Be More Orca, Buck the Menopause. Now I'm not a medic, or an expert, or a celebrity. I'm just going through it myself. I was totally blindsided by my symptoms. I knew nothing about this stage of my life. And then I discovered neither did any of my friends. So I'm on a mission to find out everything I can, explore every avenue to help us manage our symptoms and get our lives back on track. This is a rather special episode of Be More Orca. I was approached by an amazing organisation, Family Action, who help to transform lives by providing practical, emotional and financial support to those experiencing poverty, disadvantage and social isolation across the country. They asked me to be part of their World Menopause Day. Did you know that one in ten women leave their jobs because of their menopause symptoms? That's a truly shocking statistic. And I'm sure that the majority of those would have stayed if they'd had the right support at work. That's why I'm so thrilled that Family Action have chosen to highlight the importance of understanding the menopause and helping their staff navigate it. In this episode, I'm joined by colleagues Nicola and Sue to talk about their experiences. Thank you both so much for coming and talking to me today on World Menopause Day. I'm just going to get everyone to go around the room and say your name just so that people listening can put a voice to a name. So hi, I'm Sue. And hi, I'm Nicola. I really appreciate you coming and talking to me because it's so important that we do talk about this, isn't it? We have to get it out of the shadows and we need to tell other women what we're going through and tell friends and family what we're going through because otherwise it's just something that you feel that you're going through alone. Did you feel that? Yes, I did. I felt very much alone in the in the symptoms of menopause and particularly the relationship of the symptoms that I was feeling connected to previous medical complications that I'd had. You'd had a very difficult path to your menopause. You had hysterectomy first. Correct. Many years ago. So in my late 30s, I had a hysterectomy that put me into a surgical menopause phase. Was that overnight? I was okay for probably about three or four months post-surgery and then really felt the demise in energy, lots of kind of gross muscle pain, so the tops of my legs, my back, almost like having permanent period pain and went to the GP and then was really fortunate to start HRT patches 
which were just revolutionary, I have to say, at that stage. And had you been warned when you had your hysterectomy that this was going to happen to you? No, I don't think I was really. I was kind of given the information that I'd only got one ovary that was left and it wasn't it wasn't the best and they didn't know how long it would last for but actually then no real information around what I should be looking for what that may feel like how I would get support yeah what the sort of next phase was and how the menopause was going to affect you because in your late 30s presumably the menopause wasn't even on your radar I hadn't even given it a thought I mean it just didn't even I think even when I went to the GP saying how I felt post-surgery I hadn't connected it to menopause to a surgical menopause it was like it was just the next phase of the surgery that I'd had so I didn't think wider than I haven't got enough hormones in my body and I need topping up and how long were you on HRT then when you went and got it post-surgery so I'd been on HRT for about 10 years and so post hysterectomy, they were happy for you to go on HRT and you were on were you on oestrogen patch? Yeah, I was on oestrogen patches and predominantly they were happy. So I was obviously really concerned around HRT, increased risk of cancer, all those things. And I, they were really good, actually. I'd been to see a genealogist. We'd looked at probabilities and all those things. And what she said to me was that actually if you've had a hysterectomy in HRT, you're probably less likely because it's a controlled measure of hormone that's in your body. Whereas if you've got your ovaries that we don't know how much they're producing or not, and then putting HRT on top of it is where there is potential for some people for complication. But actually, I was seen to be a lower risk. That's so interesting. And I presume you were on oestrogen only? Yes, just oestrogen. Because you didn't have a womb lining for the progesterone, which is not high risk really at all. It's very low risk. And so you were happy, you were on your HRT, you felt as though you'd got a handle on your symptoms. Yeah, life was good. Life was good. <laughs> and for 10 years. And then, then you got hit with cancer. Yeah, then I was diagnosed with stage four rectal cancer. And because I was having to go through radiotherapy and chemotherapy, I was unable to continue with the HRT patches. They were the first thing that stopped. Right. And so what what happened post? Because if you've had a full hysterectomy, then post-cancer, were you able to go back on HRT? No. So I think there was the thought that potentially because... I'd been um, without ovaries for a significant period of time and then having the treatment for the cancer that I would probably be postmenopausal. So I was 50, well, I was 49 when I was diagnosed and just under 51 when I came out the other side of, of being clear. And I think it was perceived that I was potentially through the menopause. I hadn't given it a thought, to be honest. I'd had enough of thinking about medical conditions. You know, I just wanted to try and get on with a bit of life that I'd got. Yeah, of course. And get back to sort of a new normal. And then it wasn't too bad at all till probably about 18 months ago. And then I now reflecting, I can see how the menopause had started to hit me again. And then about six months ago, really hit me like a bus. And I was like, oh my gosh, what's going on? What symptoms were the worst for you? What were you experiencing? So the symptoms that I was experiencing were very similar to that of chemotherapy. So fatigue, not tiredness, just huge fatigue, muscle pain, bone pain, fogginess, being really clumsy, 
really clumsy, being very forgetful, really itchy skin. I had a change in skin, a change in hair. And because I've had radiotherapy in my kind of vaginal area, the skin there obviously changes in menopause anyway. And the skin I've got there is secondary burn skin. So that was the thing that really just became too much for me. I was just like, this is just hideous. Agony. What on earth? Absolute agony, yeah. Were you able to differentiate between it being caused by the radiotherapy or actually this is now my menopause? Was it all interlinked in your head? It was all one mishmash of chaos in my brain, to be honest, because I think the the whole thing around fear of, oh my gosh, what's happening? Am I poorly again? And then having a bit of a light bulb moment of, oh, I wonder if this is menopause. So what made you have that light bulb moment then? It was a conversation on the radio one morning. Yeah. And you suddenly went, oh, actually, I might not be out the other side of this yet. Yes. So there'd been some conversation on the radio in the morning and it was a random conversation between two radio presenters, one of whom is going through the menopause. And she'd just said around a few symptoms that she'd got. And I was like, aha. Hello, that could be me. <laughs> so um started to sort of explore the menopause then, probably for the first time, even though I'd been on the HRT for years, I'd not really connected it. I've never been bright thinking about it. <laughs> I'd never connected it to, to the menopause. And so then I started to do some research, started to have a redraft and started to have a conversation with my GP. And were they helpful? Did you feel supported by them? I felt that I was put in a box a little bit. My GPs are brilliant and I have a fantastic surgery. But I do feel that there's a lot of learning for GPs around menopause because the journey is so different for every one of us. We're all presenting so differently and you can quite easily put it down to other medicalized symptoms. You can think that something else is going on. And When I had the conversation, she was like, oh, no, you've had cancer. You can't have HRT. Even though your cancer was rectal cancer, so presumably not oestrogen. Not oestrogen fed. And there's quite a lot of research to back up that it's not an oestrogen fed based cancer. And you would only be adding oestrogen because you've had a full hysterectomy. So the cancer isn't going to be affected by adding just plain oestrogen to your HRT, is it? No. But what they did agree eventually is that I could have oestrogen gel, internal gel. But only topically, vaginally? Only topically, vaginal gel. But I have to say it has made a difference. It's made my skin tolerable. Has it helped with your other symptoms, though? Not really. Were you told why you weren't allowed a patch to have it transdermally? Had cancer. Can't have the patch. Too high risk. Can't do that. And so I've had two or three conversations with two different GPs. And both of them are of the stance, I don't feel comfortable to do that as a GP. So we have ongoing conversations and we try alternative things in the background and I'm either hoping that I'm pioneering for women that are coming behind me by having the conversations or that I will come out the other side of the journey and not be in a position that I would need HRT. I don't feel like I'm anywhere there yet. 
Well, exactly. And it's so hard, isn't it? And Nicola, you had a really tough road into your menopause and it started quite early for you as well, didn't it? Yeah. And I think that one of the things I feel needs to be sort of shouted out from the roofs is that we're all different and there is this age bracket of menopausal women or perimenopausal women and it starts at 44. Who said that? I know now looking back at my journey and it was the beginning of some brutal fertility conversations in my early to mid 30s and I look back now and I think that was the beginning of my menopause or perimenopause and that conversation was never had with me even though I'd had genetic conversation and my mum and my grandma had both gone through it early and I had to keep telling every single professional that was new to the narrative. I felt like I came with a t-shirt. So you knew that your mum and your grandmother had had early menopause. Well, how early? Well, grandma was 37 and mum can't remember, but she did say to me after I'd had my, I think, fifth or sixth miscarriage that I wasn't to mess about because she went in her 40s. Wow. That's the thing, isn't it? When you're battling, when you know your own body and you're battling against medical professionals saying, actually we're not all this one size fits all and you were saying that you felt that you'd had low estrogen all your life and you were battling with IVF and miscarriages and I'm so sorry that you had so many miscarriages and no one was this could be an early menopause no sat with fertility specialists and not one person said this might be the reason or And I think that's been another thing that Sue mentioned, loads of friends of I have spoken about, where it's it's always feels retrospective. So it's always like, oh, that's what that was. That makes sense now. That wasn't that. That wasn't the fact that it was this. It was that. So my first experience of a GP, and I have not had good experiences with GPs, unfortunately, she was determined, this female GP who was in her mid to late 40s, was determined I was depressed. It was almost like she was trying to convince me that I was depressed and that I needed to leave that surgery with antidepressants. And I ended up leaving the surgery with a prescription of antidepressants because I was just flabbergasted that she thought that was the reason why I was feeling how I was feeling. And how were you feeling? So you went in presenting with classic perimenopausal symptoms, which are the ones that GPs always misdiagnose as you need antidepressants. So what were you feeling? So low mood, weight gain, sluggish, fatigue, definite clumsiness. Clumsiness that I'd never experienced, just feeling like slow-mo clumsiness where I'd watch myself drop something, it would drop to the floor. And I got to the point where I just that stay on the floor. I got, <laughs> because I've had such a clumsy day today and I'm doing what I thought was really silly things. And I, I had regarded or still regard myself as, as a smart, astute woman, <laughs> but doing <laughs> doing really silly things. And it's really frustrating. And I'd explained this to the GP in that moment and still it was, well, we're going to gab seven you and this, yeah, no, 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 right, antidepressant, see you later. Yeah, we're all shaking our heads. And the idea that we all sit here saying, well, actually, we're all unique, but we've all just said the same thing. Fatigue, clumsiness, low mood, brain fog. And you think, actually, surely GPs, if they're having women coming into their surgery saying this thing time and time again, it doesn't take much to join the dots, does it, and say, actually, all right, you may be only in your 30s, but that doesn't mean that this isn't 
what's happening to you. And so you didn't, Nicola, you didn't go down the IVF route in the end, did you? No, I made a conscious decision for myself. That that was a lot of pain over years and years of trying. And I just didn't like the idea. My body already felt, and I feel like it was menopause symptoms, but my body felt alien to me and I'd fallen out with it. And I needed to get me and my body back together. And it was a really difficult time, but that was a decision I made. And then, you know, good news that comes with these things. I did have a baby and she's amazing and she's a miracle and I love her. Although I disliked her this morning. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I had one of those mornings too. I slammed the door on the boys as they left for school going, oh. (laughs) And I think that's another thing is rage. Like I do think that I have, I am a passionate person anyway, but sometimes that rage thing has really affected me and my family and, and I've had to sort of reflect again and, apologize for it but I just think women are always apologizing for who we are and what we do and what we go through and I'm sick of apologizing to be honest yeah yeah absolutely I'm sick of being the butt of everybody's jokes (laughs) oh does anybody know does anybody know where my car keys are oh it's mom try the fridge you know and I'm just like do you realize how disempowering those sorts of comments are when you already feel a quite a low ebb I feel like I'm bubbling above not coping all of the time <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's a yeah. fine line and I've got a professional job I'm an intelligent woman 12 months ago I did a postgrad you know so and I just feel like I've lost all of that cognitive ability to function normally if I fall over once a week I fall over five times a week and I'm just like I spend my whole time saying for God's sake Susan get a grip of yourself you know (laughs) that doesn't help with the kind of rising panic and anxious thoughts and feelings that you sit with every minute of the day along with sleep deprivation and everything else Anxiety is one that's bubbled up with me recently, like properly waking up feeling like something really awful is going to happen. Yeah. And I've never been an anxious person. And that's something that's definitely coming up for me now. We're impacting all the neuroscience of the brain. So that kind of feeling of doom is around dopamine. Part of the feeling of menopause for me is about not feeling like I've got enough dopamine or not enough positive dopamine because there's two types and so if you've got a lot of negative dopamine flight fright cortisol that feeling of doom is overpowering so making sure that you're doing things around achievement and planning for fun and making sure that you're achieving and recognizing daily achievements not fell over today yes I'll take that one you know it's really important part of the journey of the beautiful menopausal train. And I was going to say, though, I think because you were going, oh, I just feel as though I'm not really coping. You know, I'm just above water. But then you said, oh, but I did a postgrad a year ago. You're like, well, you're obviously coping pretty well. That was a year ago. It definitely wouldn't be today. (laughs) (laughs) I can't even get the title of the postgrad out today, let alone do it. (laughs) And Nicola, do you feel, though, you've become less confident 100% less confident it's horrible I've done I'm performing art student by rule of thumb and all of my friends will tell you I'm the first to speak up and the first to get on the dance floor and everything else and I think physical changes it's been the hardest for me to embrace and I'm not about the patriarchy you know and all that 
of course, we could go down and that's a different, <laughs> different yeah, podcast, that's an right? different podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I'll do that I one do, after. <laughs> I do feel like those changes have really affected my confidence and that middle weight gain, my boob size, my libido has decreased massively. That's had That's been impactful of my relationship. It's just quite low and it can be really bleak. And I think Sue spoke about, and I can totally resonate, is that isolation is it's just feeling sometimes really alone and sad and sitting in it. And I know that CBT can help, but for me, sometimes I, I just want to sit in it. And I think that's okay to sit in it sometimes because you have to feel it. You know, it has to be real and you have to feel it. And then when you have those moments or those days or those hours, when those hours pass and you get to the next bit, is really focusing on when you don't feel like that. So yesterday for me was a real poor day. I could have just sat and cried yesterday. And it came to seven o'clock and I normally go to Zumba on a Tuesday night. And all I wanted to do was get into bed and put the covers over my head. I don't want to look at anybody. I don't want to answer a phone. I just don't want to know about the world. But being able to know in my head that doing exercise when I don't want to do it is when it's going to have the most positive impact. I made myself and my husband is like my buddy and he's like, come on, you know that you're going to feel better. You know, he's got my trainers there ready, those sorts of things. By the time I went to bed, I was in a much better space, which has enabled me today to be back on track. So I think driving the roller coasters, okay, Nicola, it's okay to sit in that because if you don't sit in it and acknowledge it and feel it, you don't recognise the difference when you have a good day. Yeah. And the good days hopefully will get more. So Nicola was mentioning, Sue, you do CBT, cognitive behavioural therapy, and you've been using that to massively help yourself because neither of you are on HRT, are you? Nicola, you went on HRT for a time, but it had a bad effect on you, did it? Oh, yeah. Increased my symptoms. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had to fight for the HRT patch, by the way. Once I'd stomped back in, once I got my confidence back to go, I don't want your antidepressants. I'm not depressed. One, something's going to sort my hormones out. She begrudgingly did a prescription for me online. This was all, by the way, unfortunately, when COVID stuff had hit. COVID, yeah. Oh, Oh, it was awful trying to get anyone just to answer a phone. And, And I hated them. I got symptoms that I didn't even know existed with HRT. And she said, oh, she kept just writing me an email saying, stick with it. It takes a while, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, no, I haven't got the time or the space. What were you experiencing then? Because it's interesting to hear because the narrative is so, it's either HRT will cause cancer or HRT is this miracle cure. And actually, it's really interesting to hear from women who are saying, actually, it just didn't sit well with me. No, I increased my symptoms. I got symptoms I didn't know existed. I ended up with this crawly skin thing and I'm only dealing with the repercussions of that now. So I feel like we've said that we don't all fit in a box. I just feel like, I don't understand how we all have the same thing, but we all have different degrees of hormones in our body. And for me, it just, it sent me under massively. And it also didn't help that when things reopened, I had a HRT patch in and I went to a swimming sauna place. And, you know, because I have a fear of plasters in, in public swimming pools. <laughs> and I realised that the patch on the floor was my HRT patch and oh, not no. a plaster. I was like, oh, God, this, I don't want this anymore. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so no more. Yeah. 
So neither of you are on HRT. And so you've discovered different ways to deal with your symptoms. Sue, would you say that CBT is the thing that you most use or are there other things that you found really helpful? CBT or coping strategies and sitting alongside that, the change in doing element. So really thinking about moving about, socialising, making myself plan to do things. Otherwise, I would not go out of the house. I'd quite happily not go out of the house. Making sure that I'm out in the fresh air, so getting lots of serotonin, but really recognising the serotonin. So I've taken a really keen interest in neuroscience and how neuroscience and positive hormones of the brain really enable us and maintain our well-being. So, you know, we're coming into the winter months, which when you've got menopause is another little layer of beautifulness. So (laughs) making sure that I get outside in the day for daylight hours, so 15 minutes outside daylight hours purposeful is equivalent serotonin of three hours sleep. Wow, didn't know that. Yeah. So I use cognitive behavioral tendencies to challenge my negative thoughts, but also to think about how I change doing and using a neuroscience approach to try and keep the hormones in my brain the best they can be. And I've sort of taught it my husband and some of my family as well. And I'm actually, I do a program at work around supporting the workforce using cognitive approaches. We're able to support one another. So we'll challenge each other's negative thoughts using the methods in sort of very day-to-day conversation. So it's you don't feel like we're giving each other therapy, but, you know, we are but in a really kind of universal, every household approach. Yeah, that's really lovely because that's what we all need as well, isn't it? That feeling of support and not feeling that we're alone in this. Yeah. Because I think that's what affected me the most. I just felt that no one else was experiencing what I was experiencing. And that's why I wanted to start this podcast because I was like, I'm determined to find out. I can't be the only one. That's very similar to anybody that is having sort of mental health disruptions as well. You know, when we speak to young people about their mental health, they'll say, well, I didn't realise other people felt that way. Yeah. And then it's not until you start to have conversations or you start to explore. I ended up having a really impromptu conversation at work that has really led to kind of me gaining momentum about thinking about my menopause journey, but also how do we support others in the workplace in their menopause journey? And have you felt supported in your workplace? I think more recently it's become more topical. And I have, like Sue, and you end up doing your own research, I think, for your own sanity, don't you, So I think you just end up going, right, I want to learn more about this. That's how I have come to terms with things anyway. So we've had a menopause mindfulness session run by Manchester Mind. I ended up organising that for our team because we do have a lot of perimenopausal and menopausal women in our workforce. So there's no men in our team, for example. So it's an easier conversation to have. And I think also I felt supported at work because we have a menopause policy. I think it probably needs a review. I had a little read of it the other day because there's only a few of the many symptoms on there. I think we could probably double it now. So can you both call in sick for menopausal symptoms? Is that something that your workplace does? I did a a conversation with a wonderful police officer, Natalie, who had a traffic light system of this is a green day, this is an amber day, as in I'm dropping things, and this is a red day, as in I want to just be under a duvet, please. 
Is that something that you think you could implement in your workplaces? I think it's something that we could probably influence, isn't it, Nicola? I think the conversation is very receptive in the organisation at the moment. I can see that we are having movement. It's definitely back on the agenda. You know, even just doing this podcast, that's a fabulous new way of communicating for us to the wider workforce in the organisation. But also we are launching our first menopause cafe. We're revisiting the policy, but that menopause cafe can influence what goes on. The purpose of the Menopause Cafe, which we're going to launch today on World Menopause Day, which is brilliant, is that it's providing a psychological safe space for women who, or anyone really, that is experiencing perimenopause or menopause or or is living with somebody that is going through that process. I ended up having a very impromptu menopause cafe on a service visit one day in Leeds, which kind of led me to think, actually, we should be doing this wider in the organisation. And there were some much younger staff sat around the table with us. But then they were saying, oh, my God, I can see this in my mom. That's my mom. And that's so useful, isn't it? Because it's the idea that you're either going through it or you know someone and love someone who's going through it or you will be going through it. You know, it affects us all. It's not this idea that it's just niche for women of a certain age. And so how does the Menopause Cafe work then? How would Nicola, because you're up in Manchester, aren't you, Nicola? Yeah, it's completely virtual. And it's an open group, but you have to request to come to it, but open to anybody in the organisation experiencing. And it's been really well advertised. And we're really looking forward to just creating this safe psychological space where women can come in and just be sort of, oh, yeah, that's me, you know? Yeah. I want us to get to a place where we can begin to celebrate menopause as part of a transition of our life rather than something that we're like, oh, my God, please don't let this be menopause. Well, this is exactly why I started this. And that's what Be More Orca is all about for me, because female killer whales go on to lead their communities when they're postmenopausal. So they realise that actually there's a whole lot of life left to live. And it's just a transition that we all have to go through. And it shouldn't be thought of as this terrifying thing that is looming. I have women who are younger than me going, oh, all this stuff about the menopause. God, I can't, I don't want it to happen to me. And it's like, well, you know, it's a transition that we all have to go through, like puberty and actually life out the other side, if we know what we're dealing with, I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's the scariness of what's going on with me. If we know what we're dealing with, then life out the other side can be great. And Nicola, is this something that the Menopause Cafe, is that something that you would use, do you think? Well, I've accepted the invitation at the moment, but I think one of the problems that we do have with work is just work, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) It's a a balance to try and find the time, I think. It's within work hours, is it? It is at the moment, but again, that's something that we want to be able to take the wishes and feelings of those that access it or don't. But actually, just by accepting Nicola, it puts you into the chat zone. So you've got this chat facility that actually we could think about something like a traffic light system where any of us can just drop into the chat. Oh, my God, this is such a red day. How am I going to get through this? You know, and you've got instant connectivity to other people who are feeling that way, trying to reduce the loneliness that is a side piece of the menopause because I think that was probably my first sign. I experienced loneliness for the first time in my life and recognising how painful that is. And even now, just just 
talking about it and sort of linking back sensory to it, I could quite easily cry because it is such a huge emotion. And I don't want anybody, whether they're going through the menopause or otherwise, to feel lonely. So part of my role across the organisation is building connectivity. And that doesn't just need to be through practice. It can be through relationships, transitions, situational. We need to create those connective neurons across our workplaces and our private lives to support people who are going through any sort of situation within their their life. And especially, as you were saying, if it's a mainly female workforce, Nicola, you were saying that your team is entirely women. And are you all quite open with one another about it? Because support from other women is so important at this stage of our lives. Yeah, and the majority, we are perimenopausal and menopausal age. So it goes right through to up to those who are near retirement and the likes of little old me, who's a slightly younger lady. So yeah, so it is good to talk. It's always good to talk. I always didn't about anything. That's the right approach, isn't it? And what one piece of advice, because I'm aware that we've got to wrap things up a bit, what one piece of advice would you have for someone going through it or who's about to go through it or what do you wish that you'd known before that you didn't? It's a tough one because there's such a lot. There's such a lot, <laughs> isn't there, Nicola? <laughs> yeah. I think talking, definitely talking, doing some research, having conversations, not necessarily even with medical people, but just having conversations. And I think for me, my saviour is I've brought my husband on the journey with me, whether he's wanted to or not. But, you know, educating him, and I think that's a piece of the menopause we mustn't forget, is how we support our men to support us and help us to go through the journey where we can. I think the only advice I would give is do your research. We have got it out there now. It's open and go along with it with your GP. You know, when you go to your GP, take that with you and do stand your ground and be confident with your own body. Be intuitive with it. And yeah, like Sue said, make sure it's a healthy approach mentally and physically. That's helped me massively. Yeah, I think you both are very keen on your exercise, nutrition, aren't you? And I think those are the pillars that we all have to cling to during this uh, rocky time. Well, I'm so grateful to you both for coming and talking to me today because it's really important, as we're all saying, that everyone just talks about what we're going through and then it's not left in the shadows, is it? Menopause needs to be out there. Definitely. Definitely. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Lovely. Thanks, India. It's wonderful to see organisations like Family Action really focusing on helping their workforce who are being impacted by the menopause and taking time to educate everyone to have a better understanding. I wish you every luck with the Menopause Cafe and hope that it's well attended by both women and men and becomes a safe haven for people to share their experiences and learn from each other. Once we give our symptoms a name and start to understand what's happening to us and talk about what we're going through, then the road becomes far easier. And after you've found out what works for you, this time in a woman's life can be hugely exciting, creative and even liberating. We need to embrace that. Thank you so much for including me in your World Menopause Day. And to all those women feeling lost and alone like I was, know that there is support out there. It does get better. You just need to gently remind yourself, be more orca. If you want to be more orca, head to bemoreorcapod.co.uk for all the latest on what's coming up, I've cherry-picked articles to keep you informed so you don't have to sift through the news. 
and become a member. Tell me what matters to you and what questions you want answering. Help shape the pod and help other women just like you, so we never have to feel like we're going it alone again. And if you've liked this episode, please subscribe as it helps with those pesky algorithms and lets others find us and become part of our pod. And follow me at b.more.orca for my no-filter menopause diary.